0: This excellent medical student-led podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as medical advice under any circumstance. All right. Hello,
1: everybody. Welcome back to the Alert and Oriented Podcast. I'm Nathan Kudlapour, here with my co-host, Kaushik. We've got our leader-in-chief, Kevin Grzynski, and some fabulous discussants joining us on the show. Uh, we'll introduce them uh, in a moment here. How have you been?
2: Kyle has been a few weeks since we recorded our last one. Yeah, man. So far, so good. You know, the weather's starting to turn, which is nice. we got a week of 50s until next week, presumably, we'll be in the negatives. But, you know, everything's going well. How are you, bud? Nice. I'm good. I have been reading
1: through Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm halfway through the first book, Fellowship of the Ring. This has been pretty
2: cool. Yep. Yeah. I, that's awesome. I hope that you're able to get through it in the next <laughs> five or so years, because that's about how, too. how it <laughs> <is>. took me. <Three laughs> yep. Two. All right, well, we'll go ahead and let
3: our discussants them introduce themselves. All right, I can start off. Hello, everybody. My name is Saj. I am a medical student here at Feinberg. I'm between my third and fourth year,
4: uh, and I'm currently doing research in inflammatory bowel disease. My name is Fakayo. I'm also between my third and fourth year here at Feinberg, and I'm finishing up some research with the ortho team. All right, we're excited to have you guys on today.
1: So we've got a riveting case, and I will go ahead and let Kaushik
2: kick us off. Alrighty. So, we always like to start delightfully broad. So, for our first piece of information we'll give you guys, we have a 25-year-old patient, a male patient who presents with a fever and headache. And that's all we're going to give you right now. Uh, so, basically the way what we would love to hear from you guys is mm. how you take a really broad chief complaint like this and basically make it manageable. So, <laughs> how do you start to initially frame your thoughts and what do you think right now? So, so
3: yeah, to start off, I feel like it's good to think in in terms of, like, different buckets, different systems that you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. So I would think about, like, neuro, for example. I could be thinking about... Meningitis, especially when we're considering the patient also has a fever, mm. which and can often involves. Yeah, yeah, especially also considering the age and then another thing that I was thinking about is like Just because it says they have a fever and headache doesn't mean that those two have to necessarily be related So like that's true that doesn't mean that things like a migraine or attention headache is off of the differential
4: mm-hmm. I agree and then I think kind of broadening the scope. We can think about infectious etiologies. We can think about not just meningitis, but other things. We can think about rheumatologic problems. I think that's it for now. And
3: like, from like kind of an ENT perspective, like sinusitis, Mm. like that's probably like the most common thing that you'd see Mm. if you see like a 25-year-old with fever and headache.
4: Yeah, I guess first thing I think about, given that it's November, is like probably like flu, COVID, things of that nature. And then we can just like move there.
2: there. 100%. I think that what you guys said made a lot of sense to me. I feel like the general pattern that I've seen and the way we like to frame these especially really broad chief complaints are in terms of thinking of buckets. I feel like especially where we're at in our training, that's a really helpful first place to start. So I hear you guys kind of thinking about a possible infectious bucket, a rheumatologic bucket, a neurologic bucket. And then kind of framing the likelihood within each of those things, thinking about common things being common, but especially for Kayo straight fresh out of okay. step two studying, you no know, yeah. always thinking about the zebras and, <laughs> and you know what it could be from from the parking yeah. lot. So I yeah. think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
3: I think if like I saw this in clinic, I'd be like thinking about those more common things, like especially. But since we're on this podcast, I feel like he's probably trying to trick us a little bit. <laughs> <laughs>
2: little podcast <vibe>. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Okay. So it sounds like we got a good start going. How about a little more information? That's good. Okay. All right.
1: So we've got some more history here. He's been having two weeks of fevers and a right-sided headache. He also endorses chills, full-body aches, and fatigue. There's no significant past medical history. In terms of social history, he immigrated to the U.S. from Venezuela two months ago. During the journey, he waded across a river in knee-deep water. He's currently staying at a friend's apartment. And friends report they have seen occasional mice at the apartment. He's up to date on vaccinations. He's a former smoker, uh, has occasional alcohol use, no illicit or IV drug use. So, <laughs> yeah. what are you thinking now? This
4: is one of those, you world throw every single risk
3: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like with the social history, like adding that they immigrated from a country in South America mm-hmm. and that they have like exposures to being in a river and knee deep water, you have to really think deeply about like different infectious causes Mm -hmm. and maybe widen what types of
4: infectious diseases you could be thinking about Mm -hmm. but i also wouldn't rule out any neurological causes as well or like Mm -hmm. neurological manifestations of those causes just because the the headache is unilateral so maybe later down the line probably think about some imaging are there specific infections that you're thinking about right
1: now based on some of this history I feel like I haven't really narrowed down on anything specific
3: yet. Still thinking about like meningitis. So like some of the more common ones so like Neisseria like a younger patient. But yeah, I haven't really narrowed down on anything specific.
4: Um, because of, I guess, the location, I'm considering some fungal etiologies that I can't remember the names of right now. But I but I don't mm-hmm. notice any like diarrhea or like well specifically like bloody diarrhea or anything mm-hmm. else like that in the the stem so i don't know i'm kind of going to table that for now maybe wait for some more information all right so sound like you yeah. guys still keeping a broad differential mm-hmm. you know still so considering neuro
1: room things still thinking about infectious things but realizing mm-hmm. that you know maybe our net
4: of possible infectious causes is wider than we initially thought mm-hmm. yeah so, two oh. weeks of fevers is also pretty concerning mm-hmm. so that blowers like a viral ideology down mm-hmm. on my differential yeah and then raises, like, bacterial or fungal for sure. Yeah, he's cool. cool with that.
1: Okay. So when you go to see the patient, what would be something you'd be looking for specifically on physical exam, and what sort of, like, initial labs or imaging would you think to order?
3: I think, like, you'd be looking for, like, nuchal rigidity in terms mm-hmm. of, like, assessing for meningitis. I would do, like, a neurologic exam, see if they're having any, like,
4: neurologic deficits. Besides, like the unilateral headache, I would t- try to see if there are any other focal neurological defects. Maybe a stool samples, see if there's any blood in their stool, but maybe they haven't noticed it because it's like I forgot the word. A call. Yeah, there we go. A call.
3: <laughs> Thank you. Um, also, like I feel like checking their vital signs, checking like yeah. their blood pressure, uh-huh. see if they're septic, yeah. sure. Um and see how sick they are. The vitals would be really helpful with that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: All right. So, Kalshik, you want to give us some of that? Yes, sir. So, starting with the physical exam for vital signs, the patient is febrile to 103. Heart rate is 85. Resp- is 18. Blood pressure is 118 over 65, satting at 97% on room air. Generally, they appear their stated age. They're sitting up in bed, no acute distress. On H, E, and T exam, pupils are equal and reactive bilaterally. Extraocular movements are intact, no scleral icterus. Membranes are moist. On neck exam, there's no nuchal rigidity. There is no cervical lymphadenopathy. On heart exam, you appreciate regular rate and rhythm, no murmurs, rubs, or gallops. Lungs are clear to auscultation bilaterally, no wheezes or crackles. Normal work of breathing on room air. Their abdomen is soft, non tender non-distended, no hepatosplenomegaly. Skin exam shows no lesions or rashes. Extremities are warm and well-perfused. No edema, no joint swelling, no Janeway lesions or Osler nodes. And on neuro exam, they are alert and oriented. Yeah. <laughs> ha Never gets old. Times four <laughs> with no focal deficits on neuro exam. So it sounds like this physical exam's not giving us too much. Yeah, <laughs> correct. I actually have a couple more labs for you guys. For their CBC, their white count is eight point nine, hemoglobin's twelve point nine, and their platelets are one hundred and ninety nine. BMP is normal. Chest X-ray shows no acute cardiopulmonary process. And you were just saying that the physical exam doesn't give you a whole lot to go off of. Neither does the lab. There
4: you go. <laughs> so we have a pretty high fever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, blood pressure seems fine. Diastolic's a little low, but I mean, then that could be as normal. So we're thinking febrile for two weeks, went to Venezuela, unilateral headache, no focal neurological defects, no bloody stool, at least for now. Yeah. I can't think of any, like, no signs of, I guess, seizures or fainting. Yeah. I just, like, wonder, like,
3: with this patient, like, having the fevers and the headaches, their age, like, their fever's that high, even though, like, we don't really have information that like is super suggestive of like meningitis should we s- would you still get like a lumbar tap mm-hmm. this patient just because like that's something you don't want to like miss yeah you know? mm-hmm.
2: yeah absolutely i feel like this is a little bit of a difficult physical exam in initial labs that we threw at you guys because a lot of it is negative mm-hmm. but it sounds like your suspicion is still high you don't want to rule out some of those really scary things like a meningitis, especially with the fever. So one thing that I actually want to ask you guys is, you know, you're seeing this patient in real time with a, you know, largely negative exam, but still with this high fever and these initial labs without a profound leukocytosis or anything like Mm -hmm. that. But how worried are you about this patient when you're seeing them even with this initial information? Is this someone who you're still really worried about or how are you triaging them in your mind?
4: I feel like because he's made it two weeks with this fever and just a unilateral headache and we're not seeing much else on exam and it kinda sounds like it's continued to be like this. Um, I'm not super worried. Something that just came to mind is how often are his fevers happening? Are they, do they go away and come back or are they just like constant? And then like, that kind of makes me think about a malaria picture, which is very concerning. So we'd probably wanna Test for malaria as well. Yeah, I yeah. agree.
2: Okay, absolutely. And actually, to piggyback off what you were just saying, Fakayo, there's a really, really great point. So, Sayaj, you mentioned wanting to potentially get spinal tap and some mm. CSF studies. Fakayo, you mentioned that malaria is kind of on your differential now. Mm. What would be your next steps for this patient? Any other imaging you want? Any other labs you want to order?
4: Anything else you want to look for on exam? So I say we get the, get the CT. The so, we get the CT. Bunch of, uh, it's uh, the word i okay. See, this is why I shouldn't be on the class. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, I just wouldn't forget words. What was it? What is the test for malaria? Yeah. Oh, is like blood smear? Yeah, there blood we go. Blood, blood, blood smear. You know. Damn. Thank you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you're going to have some. Yeah,
3: I agree that, that it would make sense to, like, well, we have to get the CT for the lumbar tap, but also just, like, I feel like the threshold for getting a CT for a headache, like in the ED mm-hmm. or in the yeah. hospital, is, like, not too high. So yeah. I mm-hmm. would probably start off with that. Maybe like no need no need for like an MRI or anything at this point, and then probably run like a, a wide ranging like infectious panel yeah I feel like I mean that's just like this high of fevers with the history mm-hmm. of like recent immigration going through that like river like you yeah.
0: could you elaborate on that what, what kind of what is your infectious to
3: be like you could do a stool and parasite, we mm-hmm. get the blood smear for malaria I don't know what the specific test is, but probably test for all those like endemic Fungal things like coccidioides and um, histoblasto, yeah. Um, toxo. Yeah, I'm still like just keeping it so broad because I, the physical exams, like, not really giving me anything. Yeah. Do it's we consider like
4: to Yersinia too? Because the mice, is that something we can consider? Yeah. No, I, yeah for, I forgot about the mice. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe <had> do <laughs> the <point. laughs> I don't know. I'm just pulling nice X, or, yeah, oh,
3: no. yeah. yeah.
2: All the risk factors. Do you want to start any medications for this patient? while you're waiting for all of that lab work up to cook? So an empiric antibiotics, yeah, like experiment antibiotics, I feel like.
0: What are you covering? Everything. Yeah, something broad <laughs> spectrum. Uh, <on. laughs>
3: Do we be co- What would your Is treatment you, like, be for? Would it be ceftriaxone and azithromycin?
0: So you pneumonia? Yeah. yeah.
3: I, forgot what, I forgot what we gave on the wards for a patient who we were worried about, like, meningitis, like,
0: if okay. had a headache. So empiric coverage for meningitis? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ceftriaxone? Bang! Bang! Oh, yeah! Yeah.
1: So yeah. I'd probably start with that, and if you want to get viral coverage, uh,
0: from meningitis, say cycle year. Yeah. 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 And, and then depending, depending on the age, Pete, and really old people, you think about adding ampicillin for listeria coverage, yeah. but he doesn't really fall into that
4: demographic.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right, guys.
2: So as for some pretty great next steps in workup, why to start this patient on. Empiric antibiotics and an antiviral. So let's see what happens, shall we? Sounds good. So this patient is started on vang, triaxone mm-hmm. and acyclovir. Nice. But you don't notice any effect on their fever curve. Mm-hmm. So they're still spiking daily fevers. So, Fakio, to your point, the with the frequency of the fevers, they are daily. Mm-hmm. You also get a liver panel with an ALT of 22, an AST of 20, a T billy of 0.5, ALKFOS 150, and albumin of 3.2. You get coag studies that show a PT of 15.9, INR 1.4, PTT 30.4. Your other labs show an ESR of 58, CRP of 118, ferritin 138, ANA is positive with a titer of 1 to 320 with a negative reflex, ANCA is also negative. You draw two blood cultures, both of which are negative. RPP is negative and the UA is non-infectious. So it just threw
4: some labs at you guys. Some labs. Well yep. What sticks s- What sticks out to you? Uh, I think the ALGFOS is high. Mm-hmm. ESR is high. CRP, I don't. Uh, CRP uh, is high. Yeah, yeah. ANA yeah. yeah. is positive. So we're definitely thinking rheumatologic picture or something room involved, maybe. <laughs> PT, I think, is fine. INR should be okay. I don't think it sticks
3: out that much. Yeah, I agree that, like, with the positive ANA, like, we should definitely st- start considering that room bucket as well. Yeah. Especially as our, like, infectious workup continues to, like, not give as much and they're not having the empiric antibiotics and antivirals aren't really having an effect on their fevers. And oh. also, I guess, like, probably we might want to get, like, a broader history of, you know, what types of, like, symptoms they've been having. Has this happened before? Yeah. Um,
0: I love that point. Okay going to Get on my soapbox for a, a second. An A&A A in isolation is a horrible test. Mm. So many people, I forget the statistic, but are going to have a positive ANA. The tighter is A&A. important, the higher the titer, the more likely that something is a true signal versus not a signal. Mm. But I think I, you just raised the most important point is when this, when I see this result A&A. in isolation, it means go back and do a more sensitive review system. So mm-hmm. Figure out if they are having any rheumatologic type symptoms gotcha. that can help support. The ANA being positive, because yeah. we know people are going to have positive ANAs mm-hmm. without autoimmune disease. Maybe it's early, maybe they go on to develop autoimmune disease, but in many mm-hmm. cases, that's not the case. Yeah. So I think going back to the bed, talking to the patient more, figure out if something else has been going on, mm-hmm. joint pains, rashes, mm-hmm. neuron boss, stuff like that, can make you go down the rheumatologic bucket then. But if you're not getting, getting that, it's really hard to interpret that test.
3: Yeah.
1: And also, preference, this titer is like all, I'm on mm-hmm. the lower side. Okay, oh, Yeah.
2: So that's so looking at the ESR and the CRP, which you guys both pointed out and are and seem to be looking at right now, those both look pretty profoundly elevated. Yep.
0: How do you synthesize those? How do you like, like interpret that in the context of the case? Because these are also two good tests I like to talk about. I
3: was thinking like can't they be elevated in like in any state of like increased True. inflammation? So like you don't really know if okay. this is infection or like rooms kind of like non specific yeah. for us. When
0: I see ESR CRP elevated that shows something inflammatory is going on. Gotcha. That's all you can say.
1: And then looking, what do you make specifically of the liver panel and COAG studies? So think you said the, the ALKFOS ALK ALK is, is high, elevated. Can
3: I get the normal reference ranges for the COAG? There. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think the ALKFOS is like very mildly elevated, like yeah. very mildly, yeah. and the INR normal is one, right? Because it's a normal mm-hmm. ratio, so it's elevated. <laughs> and then the PT is a little elevated, and but that's just supported with the INR.
1: Yeah, so you have elevated PT and INR, a little bit elevated FOSS. The albumin is also slightly low.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I feel like none of the lab markers that are like markedly abnormal. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't personally know if that's giving me anything to really work off of.
4: Yeah. And isn't it possible that they're just a little bit elevated just because of like the big picture inflammation or some sort of reactive phase thing going on?
0: Possible, unlikely, I think okay. when I'm seeing this in the context of the case. So low mid, a little unusual, a younger, 25-year-old, otherwise healthy, same with a, a mildly elevated INR. But I think back then, you know, this patient's been traveling for months. Yeah. They don't really know what they've been eating. Mm-hmm. I think a first bucket to consider for both of these could be malnutrition. <laughs> that could be the tie. Yeah.
1: So, All right. So, yes, actually, what we ended up doing was the patient was given vitamin K supplementation and the PT and INR normalized. So when you think about the difference between these PT and uh, PTT tests, so PT is prothrombin pro-thr- time, looking at the entr- extrinsic pathway, specifically factor seven, and factor seven is a like vitamin K dependent factor. So if you're uh, deficient in vitamin K, you could see elevated PT and INR. PTT on the other hand is uh, partial thromboplastin time, looking at the intrinsic pathway, uh, specifically factors eight, nine, 11, and 12. Um, Factor 9 is vitamin K dependent, but because looking at all these factors, um, it's not like the classic one we look at for vitamin K deficiency. That is generally indicated by the PT elevation. And then also because of the low albumin, that can also be an uh, indication of malnutrition. Yeah. So those are sort of the clues going on here. So, yes, we'll proceed with the case. So it's now been two and a half weeks since symptom onset. Patient is still having daily fevers, however, the headache has now resolved. Now uh, we got some other image gene that came back. So MRI brain is normal, right upper quadrant ultrasound, shows mild periportal echogenicity, no cholelithiasis or biliary ductal dilation. CT abdomen pelvis shows left periaortic lymph nodes at the upper normal limit in size, no definitive source of infection. An echo shows ejection fraction of 60%, no evidence of valvular vegetations. CSF studies, are notable we talked about this before getting the uh, lumbar puncture notable here for protein of 35 glucose of 56 white blood cells four red blood cells two and the differential is 89 percent lymphocytes 10 percent monocytes one percent macrophages gram stain is negative and the culture is pending so it's quite a bit going on there but how do you interpret these
4: studies is the protein high and the glucose low in the csf
1: yeah, so let's jump to the CSF here. Well, what are you making of these like CSF findings? I'm just
4: trying to like figure. Yeah. out, like, At least like first thing I want to do is try to figure out what the cutoffs are, so I know whether it's high or low. And I I don't mm-hmm. remember the the cutoffs exactly, but I'm trying to guess. Is the is the protein
1: high? So here, after both
4: protein, protein and glucose, glucose, and right? the cell count,
0: these are all technically
4: norm- normal? normal.
0: Okay. What do you think about the differential on the
4: cell count? Lymphocytes. Well, Mike points me more of like a T-cell direction. So I'm thinking maybe something like more like TB, more fungal, more viral etiologies versus, uh, versus bacteria. Versus mm-hmm. bacteria, for sure, yeah. yeah. If it was a bacterial, what would you expect to see?
3: If you see like the white count would be probably elevated and then protein
1: would be high and the glucose would be low.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah.
1: Yeah, and we don't really see that pattern. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you guys are, like, spot on with that analysis. And more on the differential. So normal differential, you expect to see about 70% lymphocytes mm-hmm. and 30% monocytes. So you're right in noting that this is, like, kind of high in the lymphocytes, yeah. which, you're right, could indicate, like, viral, could indicate, uh, like, fungal or, mm-hmm. uh, or TB, potentially. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other imaging results that we have, anything stand out to you from those?
3: So the only thing that, the the only significant finding I see is the, like, mild periportal lycogenicity. Yeah. And the TT looks normal, normal EF. Mm-hmm. Like it, the left periodic lymph nodes are like the upper normal in size, but I don't think that's a, really a significant finding. The only thing is that like mild periportal echogenicity, mm-hmm. which even that doesn't sound very Yeah, so that strong. should be like sort of non-specific. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: The echo, what do you think we were most worried about Of like, and why we got this echo?
3: Like uh, infective mm-hmm. endocarditis.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've got now we've had like negative blood cultures mm-hmm. no evidence of vegetation on this echo this is like transthoracic so it's not the highest sensitivity for endocarditis no. but i think given that our other labs it's probably less likely and if you remember to the exam you no know, we mentioned there's no osler nose or janeway yeah, lesions. Sure. i mean that can't rule out endocarditis but this picture is sort
0: of making that less like okay where's all the signal pointing
3: i think i think signals so far are still not they're not really pointing us in an infectious direction, even though we've been doing, like, an extensive workup. So, like, we kind of talked about, I think it's time to, like, go get more history.
1: Okay. okay. Well, you know, you can go to the next one. So, you know, we sort of had been mentioning infections, and we haven't given you that many infectious labs. But now, we get a very broad infectious work of the (laughs) returns, and we have this for you. As Saish has been begging for (laughs) in the last 15 minutes. So, let me run, rattle through this for you. So the CSF culture was negative. CSF meningitis panel, negative. Malarial smear, negative. HIV, syphilis, chlamydia, gonorrhea, those are all negative. HSV 1 and 2, negative. EBV is positive, but at less than 35, so it's like barely low, basically zero. BZV, CMV, enterovirus, negative. TB, quant goal is negative. Hepatitis pain, all negative. Zika, dengue, chikungunya, PCR, those are all negative. Leptospira, Bartonella, coxiella, brucella, Histoblasto, Cryptococcus, all negative. Global fever pain, all negative. And even carious testing comes back negative. So, yes. That's what I You're call comprehensive. A sh- <laughs> yeah, This is well, almost as comprehensive as it gets. Yeah. I don't even know what a global fever panel yeah. is. Yeah, like global <laughs> fever panel, for a uh, listener's reference, covers chikungunya, dengue, leptospira, and then a variety of the uh, plasmodia, wow. so like malarial species. Nice. And then curious testing, we've talked about on this podcast before, basically looks at cell-free DNA in the blood and then compares it to like database and checks like 100 to like, pl- I think you potentially like, thousands of different
4: things. Oh my goodness. Uh,
1: wow. I don't know, this is like very comprehensive, but is there any specific infection that you're thinking about could potentially be missed by this? Or, or do you think it's probably not infectious at this point? Let me we go down the list here.
3: What type of syphilis testing did we get?
1: Probably the RPR. Yeah, probably RPR, yeah.
3: I forgot which specific test it is, but in syphilis, isn't there one test that can be like
0: negative, especially early, like early on? I'm not sure, to be honest. I think of using RPR yeah. and reflux as like an initial screen. Okay. Especially in the absence of any of like the cutaneous findings. I mean, we could go back to a better sexual history yeah. to help support looking further, but I think I would
4: trust this. Yeah, mm-hmm. Usually, I think a negative test doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have a disease, mm-hmm. but given that almost everything on here is negative, I think we can trust this panel unless we see, you know, some big changes acutely.
0: Yeah, I mean, this covers a lot of things. Yeah, things that we're not catching here, which we should still consider. But just don't, don't lie. lie. This patient has having a fever for two and a half weeks. Yeah. And mm-hmm. That's nothing to wave our hats, and hats at. And as defeating as this workup coming back negative might feel, I think we're going to have to keep pressing yeah. on. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Especially if they continue to fever while on antibiotics, while on antivirals. Mm-hmm. We're missing something. Yeah. Yeah, so at
1: this point the team is like, you know, sort of almost going in the direction of thinking about getting a PET CT scan oh to look God, for yeah. know, potentially like malignancies going on driving these fevers. Mm-hmm. But just as you're just about to get that done, another lab come back comes back. So We have serum West Nile virus is positive for IgG at 4.5. However, the IgM is negative. And CSF for West Nile virus is also positive for IgG at 1.7. And
4: it is also negative in IgM. So what do you make of these labs? I think IgM is like the first antibody to be positive for a test. And then like four to six weeks later, IgG comes around. So I think based on risk factors it's possible that i mean they were exposed to Westall virus when they came from venezuela around four to six weeks ago and that's exactly what this ali Quad seven is telling us that's crazy i didn't even think about westile virus yeah but this
3: would because the igm is negative like this isn't an active source of infection mm. so could
1: be just yeah. could
0: be that they serial converted
1: yeah yeah yeah, so what do you typically think of? You mentioned like IGI, I mean typically think of that like acute affection. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. So that's the question here. Does this does the West Nile virus explain
4: all his symptoms? I'm not sure how long the fevers for West Nile virus last, but I do know that I mean fevers are obviously one of the mm-hmm. symptoms. Yeah. I think arthropathy is also one of the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Could I be remembering correctly? Mm-hmm. And I don't think we got that from the question Then but we could ask about it. Maybe it's something that they didn't notice before.
3: And are that, can you get like headaches and like neurologic issues with West Nile,
4: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, yeah,
3: that kind of fits in with the picture. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And what do you make of the, these IgG intake bodies being present in both the serum and CSF? Do you think that's significant? Yeah, it's pretty significant. Right? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, because it means like, there's like a neurologic mm-hmm. infection. Yeah.
1: yeah, all right, well you guys nailed it. It brings us to our uh, you know, final diagnosis and case resolution here. So diagnosis was West Nile virus meningitis. And this was based on the IgG being present in both serum and CSF. We also noted there was the high lymphocyte count in CSF and also like some of the symptoms having the headache that also supports CSF involvement. So the PET CT scan was canceled. The patient was discharged with follow-up in two weeks. <laughs> so it was pretty wild. We yeah. went through all that workup. It was
0: an infection know, at you know, the right end of the period, day. So <laughs>
4: yeah. Wow. yeah, that's crazy. Any thoughts or reflections about the case? Even with the broad workup, there's still something that sometimes can fall through the cracks So yeah. you just yeah. got to keep trusting your, I guess, medical gut, and continue pursuing some sort of infectious ideology if yeah. all the evidence points in that direction. Yeah. I feel like this, this is like a good case
3: looking at like starting off really broad with mm-hmm. how you're thinking about things and then kind of narrowing as you go down and then even if you... St- like, if you don't have anything pushing you in a specific direction, like, you, you just got to keep pushing and looking, like, at more detail, more mm-hmm. specific stuff as you keep going. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. But I do have a question about how do you kind of balance being thorough mm-hmm. and also being cost-effective for the patient? Because I, I could imagine that workup was probably okay. very expensive. Oh, yeah. That's a great question. It's something You're, you have to think about. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think in this case,
0: young, otherwise healthy adult, if they were coming from Chicagoland with yeah. similar symptoms, that changes the picture than if they were traveling. So this is fever and traveler. So they're, they're going to get more radical work up just from that little piece of history. And then I think what really drove continuing the work up here is the fever, mm-hmm. the persistent fever mm-hmm. yeah. of quite a long duration. I think we're, you know, once you kind of hit the three-week mark, you start talking about fever, unidentified origin. Mm-hmm. And with a comprehensive workup, that opens up a whole new bucket of differential diagnoses, which I'm sure we're starting to be considering in this case, they were mm-hmm. on CT, Fair. so I think the fever, the fact of persistent fever every single day, while on antibiotics, while on antivirals, trying to keep looking because there's something creating a fever. All right, it's going to wrap up with a few teaching points here. So we talked about this IgM
1: test. And so, you know, like we mentioned, we generally thought, of, we generally think of IgM as indicating acute effect, infection. but Overall, IgM is actually kind of an unreliable test for a number of reasons. First, the IgM is like prone to getting false positives due to cross reactivity with similar pathogens. Mm -hmm. So, in the case of West Nile virus, for example, it could could get cross reaction with other flabby viruses like Zika, dengue, yellow fever, Japanese encephalitis. But that wasn't the case in this because IgM was negative. So, actually, it was more like a false negative. So, that's another issue is the false negatives, which is due to like timing of IgM production and variability in immune response. So IgM starts turning positive about three to five days after infection and can start declining weeks to months after infection. But the rate of the decline is highly variable. So basically if you draw the levels too early, maybe the patient hasn't produced enough IgM yet. And if you draw them too late, maybe either the levels weren't generated that well initially, or they were generated and declined very rapidly. So you have to you know, take caution when you're interpreting these. Um, so for that reason, IgG may be more reliable for confirming infection. Um, in general, for West Nile virus, if there's positive IgM, that's like really good clue, but this case really highlights the importance of taking in the whole context. You know, hit him, the patient's symptoms, like when those began, the time course, and the presence in like CSF and serum. So then just to close out a little bit about West Nile virus, so it's part of the Flabby virus family transmitted by the Culex mosquito. The first case was recorded in 1937 in Uganda, but then the first cases in North America were noted in 1999, and actually it is now found in all 48 continental mm. United States. So he, we actually can't think of it as just some tropical foreign infection, and in this case it is most likely the patient contracted the virus like when he was here in the US mm-hmm. versus during his travels. So, in terms of the clinical presentation, most cases are actually asymptomatic. Symptoms only occur in 20 to 40% of patients. Virus has an incubation period of 2 to 14 days. And then the clinical presentation is sort of one of two categories. Most common is going to be something called West Nile fever, where the patient presents with fever, headache, myalgia, malaise, and maculopapular rash. You know, this rash can actually occur in up to 50% of patients. And then the more severe form of an infection is the neuroinvasive infection, so meningitis, encephalitis, flaccid paralysis. Mm -hmm. And the patients that are most at risk for this severe disease are going to be age, immunosuppression, and malignancy. And then in terms of management for West Isle virus, it's going to be supportive, generally these cases like resolve on their own without any other specific interventions. So, yeah.
0: that did bring
3: up one question I had. Like, what time of year did this case, like, occur?
1: This occurred in the summer.
3: Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Yeah. Would you still be concerned for West Nile virus, like, in the winter if the patient was just in the United States? Or is this just something you're... Probably, probably less
1: concerned if you're, like, in the middle of winter.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it, is the West Nile virus, like, part of any panels, like, that Northwestern has that we know of? Or? So, it's
1: interesting. It was not... on. The global fever panel mm-hmm. was not on the meningitis panel, and I actually looked on the carrier testing website. It is actually not uh, detected oh, wow. by carious, surprisingly. <laughs> wow. wow. Uh, so that's why the carrier testing is likely negative. Okay.
0: You got to think about it to diagnose
1: it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Well, great job, Sahaj Pekayo. Great, great having you on the show. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Guys, before we wrap up, I just want to plug Nathan. who has been putting out some really cool educational videos on his YouTube. Oh, Two mm-hmm. recent ones <laughs> being cirrhosis and the most recent being pulmonary hypertension. So I watched that one. Especially <laughs> the clinical <Chronicles laughs> student I'll put the link in the episode description yeah. for you guys to check it out. But uh, thanks for joining us, guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Person, time, and place. See you next time.